today on Growth Mindset University. Who is Derek Sivers? <laughs> Have you noticed, by the way, that if you use somebody's full name, ah. you're, you're referring to their public persona? You're listening to Growth Mindset University, educating tomorrow's leaders with lessons from today's entrepreneurial elite. It's a progressive new age of business we find ourselves in, and we'll help you find the success you seek by listening to today's industry professionals and thought leaders teach us the lessons we should have learned in school but didn't. Now, please welcome your host, Jordan Paris. Perfect. I got a glass of water. The house is silent. The radiator is off. We are good. Excellent. I appreciate that. But did you know, though, did you did you know that on Amazon it says your book came out in 1711? Oh, really? No. <laughs> January 1st, 1711. That's <laughs> the, the paperback, at, at least. I, Actually, I saw in, that last night. In the UK... I think it says that it's just not available for sale. Like, I don't... It's the weird thing about self-publish... I mean, sorry, about having a publisher. And the reason why, for all of my future stuff, I'm going self-published is mm. the control. You know, it's just kind of weird yeah, that yeah. it's like my book has been kind of like fucked up on Amazon for a couple of years, and I've asked Penguin about it a couple of times, and they just say, oh, it looks good to us. And I just say, <laughs> all right, whatever. I just don't care yeah. that much. I've gone the the self-publishing route two times now coming this January 8th. And the only like downside that I see to it is you can't put, I mean, maybe there's another service that does this, but like the mainstream one, KDP, Kindle Direct Publishing. I don't know if you have anything different in mind, but uh, you can't put paperbacks on pre-order, only Kindle. And then like it, they say, when, once you hit publish, like it takes two to three days for the book to go on Amazon. So you'll never have a guaranteed release date, which uh. is for the paperback at least. But for, you know, for Kindle, my, my, my book's been on pre-order for, you know, almost two months now. And, uh, and that's like guaranteed, but they just don't have that feature yet. I'm sure there's other stuff out there, but obviously KDP is the easiest because it just integrates so seamlessly with Amazon because they're all the same company. Right, yeah. Yeah, were, were you planning on using them? Yeah, um, I'm also building my own store on my own site. Uh-huh, um, I figure. I have, uh, ah, okay, that is why we had the slow connection before is... My computer was trying to do automatic updates in the background. Oh. I don't know. Do you want... Yeah, let's just leave video off. I just okay. like to focus on I, the voice. I know. I re- I, I've, I've read your, <laughs> your about page. I, I understand. I get it. <laughs> okay. and, I, and look, I'm in, I'm in, I'm very, we're, we're very similar. Uh, I'm very much an introvert, too. We'll, we'll talk about that. So All right. if it's okay, I always introduce my guests... Uh, I, I figure, you know, you wouldn't be such a huge fan uh, of that because it's got a lot of business stuff in there. But I want to mention the business stuff in the intro and never talk about it again. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Um, cool. Just for like to fill knowledge gaps for people. Yeah. And I didn't email them to you yet. I can if you want. But I oh, actually yes. spent like two or three hours last night coming up with some, like thinking through the questions. So I would... We will have a better interview 
if you ask those questions, because those are things that I, I have now given hours of thought to. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Uh, I will absolutely do that. Uh, can't promise that there won't be something off the cuff. You no, know, of course. No, that, no, no. You know, I'm not against off the cuff. I just feel that's like, we're going to have, I'm going to have better answers for you if it's things that I've had the time to think through. That's the only for reason sure. I like the questions in advance. So. We're going to get going then. All right, I'll, okay. I'll introduce you. We'll make this official. Okay. My guest today is Derek Sivers. Derek is a writer, musician, programmer, and entrepreneur best known for being the founder of CD Baby, an online CD store for independent musicians. A professional musician and circus clown since 1987, Sivers started CD Baby by accident in 1987 when he was selling his own CD on his website and friends asked if he could sell theirs too. CD Baby went on to become the largest seller of independent music on the web with over $100 million in sales for over 150,000 musician clients. In 2008, he sold CD Baby to focus on his new ventures to benefit musicians. His current projects and writings are all at sivers.org. And I know he's going to hate this right now because he's not about that self-promotion stuff, but I, I just got a plug right now. If you go to sivers.org slash about, his about page of just a of just plain text, that's all it is. No, no gimmicks, no fancy stuff there. His self-written about page there is just really fascinating. I guarantee you that if you read through uh, sivers.org slash about, you're gonna start to think about things differently. His, his his perspectives of, of the world and and life and and I, it's hard to explain, but you'll see when you go to sivers.org/about all that there. And we're not going to talk about anything business today. So if you want to learn all about Derek Sivers and and business and his business philosophies, I highly recommend his book Anything You Want. I listened to it on Audible. It was an hour and a half about I think. And uh, really enjoyed it, but we're not going to talk about that stuff today. So if you want to learn about that stuff, which I highly recommend you do, anything you want. And uh, he's also got some new stuff coming soon. I'm not going to say anything about that too. So good person to follow right now. Uh, sorry, sorry, I had to plug you, <laughs> Derek, <laughs> but welcome. I'll manage. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. For you'll, that. you'll manage. And, and also, you know, I think it's worth mentioning, you're one of, I've long thought you'd be one of the world's greatest thinkers. You know, I've listened to your appearance on the Tim Ferriss show. I listen to it every year on a long car ride for, I can, I can remember these specific car rides too, but I've listened to it every year for the past, however many years since it came out, but I, I I've listened to it several times. And, uh, and one of your fa my favorite quotes of yours if more information was the answer, then we'd all be billionaires with perfect abs. So someone of, of your caliber, someone, uh, and, and I hope I'm not gushing at, at this point, but I got to ask you the question, as someone who says no to a lot of things and is really good at saying no, why are you here? Oh, <laughs> um, I liked your questions. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I don't have anything to promote, so usually people go do podcasts when they want you to buy their book or yeah. sign up for their company or whatever. And I have nothing to promote. And even if I did, I just don't like that kind of 
relationship where you can just tell that the person is here to pitch some agenda. So instead, I only decide to do interviews if I think that the interviewer has some really interesting questions. And you sent me some really interesting questions. And (laughs) I've listened to some of your past podcasts. And I said, okay. Oh, gosh, I I hope, Derek, I hope, I really hope they're not old, old ones. No, no, no. Mark Manson's a friend of mine. So I had (laughs) to listen to that one. I'm glad you heard that one. All right. (laughs) Um, So, uh, yeah, I just, I like your style. I like your questions. And here we go. Ditto. Here we go. So I, you know, I just introduced you all the, all the formal stuff, all the accomplishments. But if I were to ask you, who is Derek Sivers? What would you say? <laughs> Have you noticed, by the way, that if you use somebody's full name, ah. you're, you're referring to their public persona? Like when you're among <laughs> friends, you know, if you're like, uh, like, you're right. Friends will joke if you're like hanging out with, well, this, we just mentioned Mark Manson. So now yep. he's famous. So, if you're hanging out with Mark, then you say something about Mark. And then, but if you say, I'm here with Mark Manson, then you're referring to the public persona. Uh, uh, I think so, it's a, so I'll, let me rephrase the question. <laughs> <laughs> who, who is, who is Sarah? Mr. Sivers. No, okay. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Sivers, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, there is, um, I've learned to distinguish between the past, present, and future tense of identity. Right? So past tense... I was that stuff you said in the intro, professional musician, ringleader of a circus, music producer, entrepreneur, public speaker, even nomad. I had to realize recently that that doesn't apply. So present tense, I'm just an author. That's really all I'm doing. All those other titles don't apply to my present self. Future tense, who knows? So, But I'm really careful now which tense to use because... I realized recently that we can't keep stating our past achievements as if they're still who we are, right? Like someone who played football in high school can't just keep calling himself an athlete forever. At some point, that status expires. So I think it's healthy to expire it as soon as possible. Like define yourself only by what you're doing now, not by what you did even last year or what you plan to do. Perhaps, uh, you know, I just get the, I, I've always gotten a, a sense, feeling of humility from you. And perhaps that comes from, you know, this philosophy right here that you don't wear your achievements like, uh, uh, you know, on, on your sleeve all day, every day. Uh, you know, perhaps you wake up every day as if you've accomplished nothing and you're, you're in, you, you have the beginner's mind. Would I be correct in assuming that? Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm just usually lost in whatever I'm doing at the moment. I I just learned a word three days ago, monomaniacal. I'm like, and I read the definition. It's like, oh, that fits me. I get really, really, really into one thing at a time. Yeah, yeah. And I will wake up at five thirty in the morning and do that one thing until midnight, like stopping for twenty minutes to get something to eat. Yeah. But I'm I'm that kind of like sit down and work for 17 hours kind of guy. And even when I look back at my 10 years running CD Baby, that was like one single thing I did for 10 years, like pretty much seven days a week, 12 hours a day for 10 years. I hardly took a break. You couldn't get me to, you know, hang out. I didn't watch any TV. I didn't go to restaurants. I just worked 12 hours a day for 10 years. And so, yeah, I'm I'm monomaniacal. I get really into one thing. So I don't know if it's humility as much as just 
honesty. Yeah, but judge so like I'm very similar with the the working on something all day every day for for years on end and you know not really not watching TV, not not going out, not hanging out, uh I kind of tuck myself away to 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 do this work, but I I also get the sense that perhaps your your the terms work and play are kind of interchangeable of for course, you. Yeah. Yes. But is it like does it get to a point where you know doing that burrowing yourself away is like unhealthy? No, I think of it because it's play. Um I call it work because that's like the socially acceptable term that we all understand, but I think the more accurate ter term would be to call it me time. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's yes, me yes. just doing whatever the hell I want to do, which might be learning a new programming language or working on my book or editing audio files or answering a few hundred emails if I'm in the mood to do that. You know, it's, it's just me time. So who could ever say that, you know, too much me time, too much doing what you want is a bad thing, you know? Mm -hmm. So no, I don't think it's a bad but thing. But then, you know, playing devil's advocate and, and, and look, again, very similar, uh, you know, we're both introverts, but playing devil's advocate, like, I think about it all the time. We, as human beings, uh, we need other people, you know, in isolation, people uh, don't do too well. Right. And then, and there's solitary confinement for, uh, because that isolation is just so terrible, uh, for human beings. We wither. Do you ever feel, uh, lonely? <laughs> um, well, we're not mentioning something that I have a kid. And so, yeah. despite everything I just said, uh, about 30 hours per week, I've counted just on average. Like the time I spend with him just in our regular weekly routine is about 30 hours a week. It's just one-on-one, -on -one, just me and him. And I, I just shut off myself and I just kind of exist for him for about 30 hours a week. I, he leads the way I get lost in his world. And so, um, no, I'm with him a lot <laughs> and I what do have other friends. And so it's, yeah. 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 Not like what about like 20, twenties and thirties though? Um, I was much more social then because I think you can mix it with other goals, right? So there was a lot of time in my 20s when I was trying to get famous. And so I would go wow. to conferences and meet everybody and keep in touch with everybody. And I was much more social in my 20s and even 30s because I was still trying to get famous. So um, even though it had this ulterior goal, it still meant that I was super, super social. Also, I've had phases in my life where I'm more naturally interested in the people around me. Like when I moved to Singapore um, about 10 years ago, I was fascinated. I was like, oh my God, I'm living in Singapore. This is amazing. Like I'm a permanent resident of Singapore now. I want to get to know my new neighborhood. And so I met with everybody for two and a half years. Wow. I said yes to every invitation. I had one-on-one -on -one meetups with about, I don't know, two to three people a day, about 15 people a week. I'd go to every event, say yes to every invitation to everything. And so I met, a, you know, probably 500, 600 people in that, time in Singapore. 
but then I moved to New Zealand and I was completely antisocial. So I, I have phases where um, I'm more social than others. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I, I mentioned to you too that like, you know, being around people uh, as an introvert, my, my spell, myself, I'm speaking for myself here that, you know, I feel like I feel peopled out after, uh -huh. after being around people for, uh, you know, these extended periods of times. Like, did you ever, do you ever feel that way? Absolutely. But for example, I get huge benefits out of going to conferences and parties. I mean, a lot of my dear friends now are people that I initially met at a conference and then we became friends. So I think the lesson I've learned is it just like you wouldn't avoid museums just because you don't want to look at every single painting inside of them, don't avoid conferences, for example, or parties, because they have, you know, 500 people there. You don't have to talk to 500 people. Uh, in fact, my old art history teacher uh, in college said, uh, said, when you go to a museum, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. He goes, when you went, go to a restaurant, do you order everything on the menu? No, of course not. That's why when you go to a museum, you just pick one painting you want to see and you just oh look at that one. And if you want to look at another one, then you come back on another day. But do not get uh, indigestion from trying to overeat at a museum. So his point was like, yeah, George, I'm going to, we were in Boston at the time, so we could just go like two blocks down the road to the Museum of Fine Art and walk in and as a class, look at one painting. And that was it. We would just sit in front of one painting for an hour and then you wouldn't get indigestion, right? So same thing with crowds. You can attend a conference and speak with two people. And you can attend for two hours. You don't, just because the conference is three days long of 17 hour days, doesn't mean you have to attend all of that. So I've, uh, quite a few times I've attended a conference, uh, even, God, even the stupid expensive ones like TED, it's like, I'll spend like $7,000 and, you know, plus airfare, plus hotels, go yeah. all the way across the world, go to TED, and I'll just spend like a day and a half there. Um, in fact, I got an interesting little tip from Seth Godin, uh, I already knew him, but I saw him at the snack bar at TED. And I said, oh, man, did you just see that talk by Elizabeth Gilbert? He goes, no, 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 I don't go to any of the talks. <laughs> I said, wait, what? And he goes, no, no, no. <laughs> he said, you're still an amateur at this. He said, those of us who have been doing this a while realize that all the benefit comes from hanging out here in the snack bar. Don't waste your time on the talks. If a talk's good, you'll hear about it later and they'll post the video online for free. Like, don't sit in a chair. <laughs> You're at TED. Like, talk to the other people around you. So it was very interesting. It's like he went all the way to TED and then just hung out at the snack bar for a couple of days. That's it. Um, so, yeah, you, you can do <laughs> events any way you want. Just imagining De Derek and Seth uh, at the snack bar having that yeah. conversation. <laughs> funny, funny little picture in my head. Seth, Seth's a funny guy. In fact, it was the I don't, night before. I don't know him personally, but. Oh, he's, he's just like that in person. He's the same. Um, he's such a, uh, such a, a guru, such a uh, sage. Um, mm. he, uh, but he would never say that about himself, of course. No, no, no. He's changing culture. Um, um, and I think my other thing about, um, what did you call it? Uh, peopled out. Yes. Is also just get used to saying goodbye early. Like uh -huh. I very often will like go to a party and I'll hang out for like an hour. And it'll be like nine o'clock or eight o'clock. I'm like, I'm going to go. And people are like, what? You're leaving? I'm like, yeah, 
that yeah. was that was good. I, I think about that all the time at like when I'm there and it, it'll, the, the thought will creep in my head. Like this, this should be the time that I, that I say goodbye, that I yeah. peace out. But then for the next 23 minutes, I will be thinking about how to perfectly <laughs> do it. Oh, is this my moment? Uh, my heart, my heart starts racing. Oh, I'm going to say it. I'm going to no. As if anybody cares. <laughs> As if anyone cares, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, like, don't flatter yourself here, here Jordan. I think it is so important. But uh, <laughs> so, I, you just, you, do you just like do it? Oh, you yeah. don't care. I, I often yeah. don't even say goodbye. I just like, eh, that's enough. I slip out. Yeah. So, so this can, this, uh, you know, choosing. We were talking about choosing who you want to interact with. So you're saying this can extend to a a party, right? So, okay, how about when you're at that party and I feel that, so, so one of my best friends, uh, he, when, whenever in, in college we would go to the bar or a party, I, as an introvert, always wanted to be like near him. He's super social, knows everyone, and uh, it's just a good comfort zone for me to to be near and I really only I, I kind of just wanted to interact with with him I don't know and uh but he he's like the he is the polar opposite of me like the, the epitome of an extrovert and he no matter who he goes to a bar or a party with wants to break off be on his own make his rounds go uh, and and just do his thing by himself so it wouldn't really uh wouldn't really work well some people don't like that. Uh, you know, I find a lot of people my age, I'm 22, don't really like that. They call it clingy if you go to a, a bar or a party and, and you just hang around them all night. Like, do you, do you have an antidote to that? Yes. I highly recommend, if you've said yes to some event, big or small, um, find one of those books about people skills and read it just a couple hours before the event, because then you can go and specifically try techniques that you've learned just to see what happens. You could, then it, you're suddenly more interested in other people. If it has a bit of like a challenge or applying something you've learned to it. So, um, the very first time I attended Ted, uh, I didn't talk to anybody and nobody talked to me. I was just kind of terrified. I was overwhelmed. It was just, there are all these famous rocket scientists around me. And I mean, what do you say to a rocket scientist? Hey, so, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You like rockets? Mm. <laughs> um, so, uh, so the next time I went, I said, okay, I'm not going to do that again. It's too fucking expensive to like go all this way and, you know, not talk to anybody. So this time, because I wish somebody would have come up to me and talked to me, I'm going to be the guy that breaks the ice. Everybody wants somebody else to break the ice. Yes. So the opening dinner, I walked in, and there's this woman kind of just sitting alone at a table looking a little lost. So I'm like, okay, here I go. So I walked up and I said, hi, where are you from? <laughs> she said, oh, I'm Maria. I'm, I'm here from Bulgaria. I said, whoa, Bulgaria. I've never met somebody from Bulgaria. I said, have you ever heard the Bulgarian women's choir? It's like one of my favorite music in the world. And she goes, oh my God, how do you know that? And, um, so she told me the story about how she got the, uh, like a, scholarship to attend the event. And 
that's Maria Popova from Brain Pickings. Do you know that site, brainpickings.com? I've heard of it. Um, so, yeah, she went on to become quite successful. And uh, she's one of my favorite like, people that I admire the hell out of. And it's just because I was the one that walked up and broke the ice and said hello to her. And so I did that once or twice a day for the next few days. I just found like just one or two people that looked like they were standing alone and needed somebody else to say hello. And so I said, okay, even though I don't necessarily feel like it, let's just see what happens. Right. And I'd go up to a stranger and say, hi, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. That's that's funny because uh, you know, the way you mention uh, reading that, reading that people skills book before you go to XYZ event. I mean, I, Derek, I used to do that. Uh, I got, uh, first of all, it's one of my favorite things to learn, human behavior, communication, people skills, whatever. Uh, and I, the, the, the book I would study specifically is, I don't know if you've ever heard of Vanessa Van Edwards? No. No. So she wrote this book called Captivate the Science of Succeeding with People. And that's like, that is my my not to get religious here but that's my bible of of people uh the science of people that i always refer to and i would you know i would get psyched up you know read you know pulling that out pulling out my notes from that before uh you know before going out to and <laughs> and i was yeah it was just it was just like that so i'm i'm on board i'm on board with that and then just like focusing on one or two things not trying to tackle every little thing in the book but just focusing on one or two things to get down pat this time. Mm -hmm. And then next time, you know, you got those and you'll, you'll add a couple of new things to your and repertoire. And it's all artificial, but I think that the real friendship can come after. Yes. It's, it's really yeah. just like the techniques are just there for like the first two minutes. Exactly. And then it's just That's a regular right. conversation. But I got to say, man, hearing the stuff you're saying, that the fact that it's like you're saying yes to an event, but then you go just kind of like sit next to your friend. I know. I think you should start to just be more honest with yourself and just say no. I don't. I don't want to go. Like you know, uh, yeah. four hours that you go out to this event to sit by your friend is four hours you could be doing something you really want to do. I I agree. And uh, you know, over the past over the past two years, really, I I can't I can't think of a bar or or party that I've gone to. It was really the two years. Prior to that, I did. Uh, I'm glad you you point that out. Uh, you know, I, I it just got to the point where it's like social economics. Like, you know, what is it? What is it? What, what like what would I rather do here? Uh, and and what am I by going out here? What am I passing up? Like, what's the opportunity cost here? Yeah. And the opportunity cost was my uh, a lot of times my my own peace because my mind goes into like just it just gets a little little crazy when i i just it's hard for me uh as an introvert when i go out to these events even though it might not look like that on the surface my my brain below the surface is definitely freaking out uh and it would also cost me the you know the time and and just a a, a quiet night which i so enjoy speaking of quiet do you, i know you you are a fan of of silence after reading your about page do you find that the the noise levels at at some of these events bothers you it's a, you it's okay if not you don't have to go with it um yeah of course i mean i just i have a hard time picking out voices in a crowd so yeah, that whole like yeah, shouting yeah. at a bar thing i just i don't participate if i'm in a noisy bar and somebody's shouting at me i just kind of i lift up my hand and i walk out the door <laughs> yeah 
Absolutely. I, uh, I feel that. So, uh, so let's talk. You're also now a, uh, you know, you say you're a writer, but you're also a podcaster now too. Well, in some definition. In some definition, yeah. I mean, you've put one out, what, you started in September, you put one out every single day? No, no, no. I mean, I did for a little while. Um, oh. Now it's every few days. The I'm using the medium of the podcast to basically just do an audio version of my blog. Um, the Each episode is like one or two minutes, because each one of my blog posts is like yes. 20 sentences. So I think that that's, um, I think that's just related to my minimalism, right? Like people mm -hmm. who visit my house are shocked that it looks so empty. A few people that come over will say, do you live here? <laughs> and I'll say, yep. I'm like, you don't have any stuff. And we'll say, nope. But it's the same <laughs> if you look inside my closets, there's my one pair of pants and my three shirts. That's all I got. Um, and same, you know. So one pair of pants. I got. I got to ask a question. Do you do laundry like every other day, no. or do you like how many times do you wear them? Before? I'm serious. <laughs> All I, right. James Altucher had the same thing too. Really? Um, yeah. He he did the He'd have. In fact, he would he would get three. He would buy three like plain shirts every week, and instead of doing laundry, because it would cost fourteen dollars. Yeah. At where did where no. would he get them? Uh, Dwayne, Dwayne Reed, oh, he would get God. them at Dwayne Reed and then he would get the three for, for the weekend and, and then throw them out <laughs> okay, no, okay. and I'd get new ones. Different. You know, what's funny is how we have different definitions of words like nomad or minimalist, right? So, yeah, yeah. so my friend Tynan came over and Tynan's like, uh, uh, he had a book called Life Nomadic and that's how I met him. He travels the world constantly. So his version of nomad is everything fits into his one tiny little backpack. So he comes to visit me in New Zealand and he comes to my house and he sees my clunky old laptop. And he's like, what the hell? Why do you have this like ancient old laptop? Mm -hmm. I mean, cause yeah, it's like 10 years old. It's giant and clunky and you know, I've, it's broken a few times and I repair the parts and I refuse to get a new one because my definition of minimalism is stepping out of the consumer rat race or whatever you got like i don't i don't like getting, buying, getting the new phone every yeah year i don't or... like to buy anything because i hate waste and whenever you buy something it creates waste it's like waste of manufacturing waste of you know it's trash it's like no so to me it's yeah i it's not about you know i'll have a big bulky laptop because it still works from 10 years ago but anyway <laughs> how i wear my pants <laughs> Glad you asked. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I um, I treat jeans like a jacket. I'll, I'll wear a pair of jeans for yeah. a few weeks without washing them. And then after a few weeks, if they get muddy or start to smell, then I'll wash them. And I do have uh, a pair of shorts and I'll wear my shorts while I'm washing my jeans and I'll put the jeans back on. So um, I've never been asked that before. <laughs> that's a yeah i did i just i'm just curious you know uh i i've i've so often wondered wondered that whenever james talks about it and i you know i really should just be asking james because he's my friend but <laughs> but uh but but you said i was like all right I, now's my time to ask that question but it's you know but, but everybody's got like that shocks me about him mean buying and throwing away three shirts every that's like the opposite of what i want in life that horrifies me but i, I <laughs> I just like having the minimum necessary, right? It's like the common theme. If you go to my site, yeah. you go to sivers.org, it's like the most bare bones I could make it. It's just the text. 
there's no Plain graphics. Text. Um, there's no sidebar, there's no navigation, there's no ads, there's no, I don't even do any tracking, there's no cookies, there's no JavaScript, there's nothing. It's just like, here's the plain text. This is the minimum, I, I edit and, I'm, and I make it myself by hand. I don't use WordPress or any like site making thing. I wrote every line of that myself. And so I don't write a single line unless it's necessary. And I remove the ones that are unnecessary. And so it's like the same thing with my articles, right? It's first I write a long one saying everything I wanna say. Then I go through and I chop and I chop and I edit yes. and I chop and I cut it down until it's the shortest I can possibly make it, the fewest words, the least code, <laughs> nothing more, no bloat. Yeah. And it's the same True. thing with my book. It's like, you know, nobody likes those books that take 300 pages to say what you could say in three pages. People complain about those, especially in nonfiction. There are a lot of those, you know, somebody has one idea and the publisher signs them to a publishing deal and says, okay, now turn that one idea into 300 pages. And you can tell nobody likes that. Yeah. Would you say then that truth is succinct and it doesn't really need to be, doesn't need to be a, a 600 page book. It can be a very bare bones, minimum, minimalist, uh, plain, short blog post. Well, I think truth and stylistic preference are two different things. So uh, no, I, uh. I wouldn't say that truth is succinct because very often I think people say untrue things because they're trying to be quippy. They're trying to fit some wisdom into a soundbite. And so they say something yes. that isn't actually true, but if you were to try to get to the truth, you'd have to include some nuances. Well, like, well, that applies in some situations, but not others. But now you're no longer making a nice soundbite or aphorism. And so, no, very often I think the truth is not succinct. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, your stylic, stylistic preference, though, is, is, of course, short, minimalist. Uh, you, you know, your podcasts uh, are very short, you know, which are essentially the blog posts, which are relatively short. And then you're, uh, in 2010, when you gave those three, not one, not two, but three TED Talks, they were, they were, what, two, three minutes each, yep. right? Mm -hmm. You want, you have this, you have this, and then you, on your about page, you say, I want to make lots of stuff. Why do you want to make lots of stuff? Well, okay, I don't know what else to call it yet. When I find a better word, I'll use a better word <laughs> until then I'm calling it stuff. I just mean um, ideas, uh, sounds, words, like I, I like, um, I feel best when I'm being productive. It, have you ever done this thing? No matter what you're doing, you can ask yourself, well, why are you doing that? What is the ultimate goal behind that? And then you can answer that question and then you can keep asking, well, and then why is that important to you? What's the ultimate outcome behind that? And you can answer that question and then you keep drilling down and down and down, you know, it, it's, you call it the five whys or you call it whatever you want to call it. But that's the idea is to keep going until you get down to your ultimate, like core, most important value. And when somebody did this to me years ago, um, by the way, and you have to stop before saying, just be happy. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the reason everybody does everything in life. Just be happy. <laughs> like go, go one layer up from that where it's still interesting. So I felt like I couldn't decide between creating or learning. Like when it really came down to it, creating 
and learning are my two um, ultimate principles, right? And so the guy asking me was kind of a life coach kind of dude and was pressing me to decide which one is more important, learning or creating. And I was thinking about it for a bit and I said, no, you know what? I think there's, there's a, it, can we call that like a false dichotomy? I don't know if that's a word that, that you're only saying these are two different things because in English we have two different words for them. But there might be a language somewhere on earth where learning for the sake of creating, for the sake of learning, for the sake of creating is one long word. And that thing would be my ultimate value, which is creating things because, because creating helps me learn. And I like to learn things to help me create and create to help me learn and learn to help me create. That thing is my favorite thing in life. That makes me happier yeah. than anything else. So that's what well, I want to do all, more of and all of. Well, you're, you're writing, you write for like three hours a day or so I, I hear. Uh, you're, you mentioned that it seems like most of your learning comes in those hours writing first off though how, how do you write three hours per day <laughs> oh dude it's it's worse than that now um did you get that was that on my about page or something it was yeah. okay i wrote the about page last year it's gotten worse since then um or better i don't know uh yeah it depends <laughs> um <laughs> so it's only really in this past year that i've slowly realized that i'm a writer, that that's really what I want to be. Up until last year, I really felt like I'm actually a programmer slash entrepreneur slash student of life. And sometimes I write to share what I learn. But last year, I did this little mental exercise quiz where I asked myself, who are my heroes? Who are my idols, my role models? And I listed them all out. And when I was done, I realized that every single one of them were authors. And I was like, oh, this is, <laughs> this is really, my heroes are not entrepreneurs. They're not musicians. They're not millionaires. They're not investors. They're, they're all authors. I was like, I think this is giving me a clue here. I think this is what I really want and who I really am is an author. And I just haven't really realized that till now. So once I realized that, I really started letting go of all the other things I was doing and I just focus on this now. So actually, a typical day for me now is I wake up at about 5.30. I don't know why. No alarm clock. I just naturally wake up at 5.30 every day. And I go to the kitchen, put on a pot of tea, and within three minutes, the hands are on the keyboard, and I'm typing. Oh, and I, I do this offline. Wait, it, it, you might need to actually rewind to the night before. A few hours before bed, I turn off the broadband modem completely, and I turn off the phone. So now there is no connection to the outside world. It's just me and the offline computer. And I'll write for a couple hours before bed. And then I wake up at 5.30 in the morning and I write for usually five or six hours before I turn on the internet. Wow. Then I'll turn on the internet, go let myself get a little distracted while I eat something, um, answer some emails, uh, read a couple little things on Hacker News or whatever like that. And then I shut it all down. Sometimes I just unplug the Ethernet cable. Actually, I don't have any Wi-Fi on my laptop. That's intentional because uh, 
I, I want my connection to the internet to be deliberate. So only the ethernet cable connects me to the internet. I don't want ah. it. So whenever I, it's time to focus again, okay, back to writing. Uh, and, and this break I'm talking about is like, you know, 20 or 30 minutes. I'll take like a, maybe one hour tops if I'm going to answer emails. Then I'm like, okay, back to writing. And then I'll unplug again and I'll write for another six hours until dinner time. And then maybe I'll like go to the gym or call a friend and eat dinner and then I sit down and write for another four hours until bed. Um, so I realized that my average writing these days is like 15, 16 hours. And is that fun? Fuck yeah. It's like my dream nice. life. It's amazing. It's like, this is like, this is why people that quit their jobs so they can just do what they want to do all day. This is, I'm living my dream. This is just, I say no to everything else. And mm. God, there was even some like, gorgeous girl that was kind of being like flirty and said that she's coming through Oxford and would love to meet up. And I was just like, <laughs> no, no, sorry. Um, no, I'm going to yeah. keep writing. And uh, <laughs> yeah, the weather got cold. I just went down to Portugal for 10 days and just got a little hotel room. I don't know anybody down there. I just kind of sat in my hotel room and just wrote for 16 hours a day in a hotel room. And it's wonderful. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I find that, the the times where I'm writing a book and you know I've gone through the process twice now, I find that those are most often my happiest days ever. Yeah, when I'm writing all day, every day, and and the funny thing is, I I, I enjoy it so much, and and the the opportunity cost of interrupting my my flow state is is so high in my mind that. You know, getting up to get a snack or, or even eat at all isn't worth it a lot of the time uh, because I'm so immersed in what I'm doing. And I actually, I always end up losing weight when I go on this writing spree mm. <laughs> and I don't have much weight to, to lose, but uh, I'm, I'm right there with you. I see, I see how writing could be so fun and such a joyful process, but you know, I, I got to ask so many of your your ideas i i mean i can't think of one that's like cliche right do you have a certain method that you use to find and seek out these different points of view derek um well first i mean obviously you have to push past your first second and third ideas that come to mind right like the first thing that comes to mind is usually just your kind of knee jerk reaction it's your old outdated thing it's something you've it's the stand, you know, if you ask somebody, name a famous painting, they say Mona Lisa, famous composer, Mozart. You know, it's like you just, there's always that top thing that comes to mind too quickly. So you can discard that one. That's too obvious. Uh -huh. And the second and third ones usually are almost as obvious. So you, first you just keep coming up with options until you find one that surprises even you. That's fun. When you surprise yourself with an idea, you kind of like make a face at it like, whoa, that's interesting. Um, but also, I really love looking at the opposite of anything. But I've noticed that I like the 170 degree opposite better than the 180 degree opposite. Because then you can keep going like a spirograph. Do you ever see a spirograph? You put the pen in the dot and you turn those little gears. Oh, I think, I mean, I know, I, I know what you're talking I didn't know that's what it was called. Oh, but yeah. yeah. Look up Spirograph on YouTube. And I just realized that I like this concept of a Spirograph where 
in, instead of getting the exact op, if you're going for the exact opposite of something, well, then you can't flip it again because it's the, you're back to where you started. But if you get the almost opposite of something, you can keep flipping and keep flipping and keep ah. flipping. Like, um, we'll just pick music, right? So what's the opposite of music? Not, so, uh, not the exact opposite, but the 170 degree opposite. So let's say the opposite of music is business. And the opposite of business is charity. And the opposite of charity is greed. And the opposite of greed is generosity. And the opposite of generosity is fear. The opposite of fear is love. The opposite of love is seduction. You know, you can like kind of keep going like this, like a spirograph, or just kind of get the almost opposite. And it's way more interesting to look at things. I, I kind of, I picture it in a physical way, like, like you've got an idea or you've got a topic of conversation or somebody asks you a question. Well, instead of just giving that off the cuff kind of answer, you pick it up and you lift it up and you look at the look at it from underneath and you look at it from all these different sides. So we kind of mentioned this earlier about, um, I think you asked me if the truth is succinct, succinct. but um, I think the most important thing when you're looking for a different point of view is to not try to be correct. Like, don't seek the truth. Just seek an interesting way of looking at it, like using a toaster to catch fish, you know? So you don't care about being right. No. How do you, I mean, that's, that's a very, I mean, it's a very mature uh, uh, stance to take. And or immature. Not very mature. <laughs> it's, well. it's play, I don't know. I think of it more as playful. Like, I'm not trying to uh. be a distinguished professor. I mean, I think it's probably a good thing that I was never in academia. You know, I just went to music school and I graduated when I was 20. So I've never been in academia. I've never tried to be uh, accurate. I've never been seeking the truth. I, I'm just seeking an interesting way of looking at things. Huh. In... So you're, instead of seeking the truth, you're seeking an interesting way uh, of looking at it. Or useful. Um, useful. So Useful to what? Useful to me right now. So, um, let me think. Sure. If, like, it would be, let's say, if I'm having trouble writing, then it would be useful for me to believe I'm going to die next year, and this is my last chance, and anything that doesn't get said right now is going to disappear. It's probably, hopefully, not the truth that I'm going to die next year, but I can deliberately believe something not true because it's useful. It gets, it gets the result I want from myself, yeah. right? And so then there are, I mean, I just picked an obvious uh, example of that, but you know, there are variations on that. Like, I'm going to choose to believe this because it gets me the result I want, or um, even if the result I want is to break out of a common way of thinking, like I'm feeling in a rut on a certain subject or at a rut in my life, I need a different way of looking at it. Oh, here's a perspective that that makes me want to jump out of my chair and go down to the gym. Well, it doesn't matter what that perspective is. It doesn't matter if it's true or not. It matters if it gets you out of your chair, gets you uh, doing what you want to do. I see, I see. Useful, not true. I, I keep meaning to write that article. Uh, I want to write that someday about yeah. look for what's useful, not true. I like that. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to seeing, seeing what you come up with, writing about it. That's, that, that's a, and it's a, it's a great concept. It's a, a totally Derek Sivers 
uh, type of idea. It's a totally, totally a Derek Sivers headline. Oh God, I have, I have a, I have a style now. I have a type. I mean, in my eyes, I don't know. <laughs> it's just, it's different. That's your, that's your type. It's different, and I think it's a great, great thing. It's, it's the opposite of cliche, and that's why I asked that question. So I, actually, I want to talk about uh, one of your talks that you gave, one of your TED talks uh, about keeping your goals to yourself and how it's beneficial to do that over announcing it and to the world right? right and i actually made a post about that oh this week and uh about how we live in this announcement happy humble bragging hmm. culture where you know we announce even the smallest of victories and can have hundreds of people congratulate us and tell us how great we are, you know, uh, and, and positively reinforce what we're doing, even if it's, even if it's like not that great of a thing. And then it feels like too, there it's, it, we also imagine, I actually re referenced some science, some research on this from, I forget which psychology journal, but it was like, you know, bottom line is it's, it's, it's official. And, uh, <laughs> and, like when we when we fantasize about this stuff and when we, when we project this stuff out there, we're actually far less likely to go and make it happen in real life because our our we trick our our mind into uh, thinking that it's like already been there, done that. Right. So I think I I don't think announcing all of your goals is a good thing to do at all. But I also saw, uh, you know, people people had rebuttals and say like, no, I, I do this all the time, and and I think it's you know, like it's it's good for me, blah blah blah. And I was like, okay, respect. But would you? So you would advise people to stay quiet until the completion of a goal, or is there a time when it's okay to announce it? Okay, first, yeah, I'm going to yeah. tell you a little secret before I answer your question. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's that TED talk was kind of a funny situation because the TED conference, at least this is the way they used to do it 10 years ago. I don't know if they still do, but they would take pitches. They would ask people mm -hmm. like, okay, you can submit ideas for a talk now and you can submit up to three ideas. So for that conference, I submitted two ideas that I really wanted to talk about, but there it was on the form, the empty third submission choice. And I thought, well, I read this little article this morning about announcing your plans makes them less likely to happen. I'll just fill in that one. <laughs> like I seriously read the article like an hour earlier. So I feel I was like, okay, I could talk about that if you need me to. Uh, and of course, that's the one they chose. Uh -huh. So uh -huh. to me, I don't think it's anything more than an interesting little eyebrow raiser, right? Like yeah. two minutes of intellectual entertainment. It's nothing to guide your life by. So when you say like, would you say that people should not? Like, no, 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 I would not say any of that. The idea is that for some kinds of goals, by the way, the, the URL on my site, uh, sivers.org slash zip it, Z-I-P-I-T, is the permanent URL for the original article. And I point to that because it links to Peter Galwitzer's original research and gives the details of his original tests. When I was giving the talk on stage at TED, I had to reduce it down to two and a half minutes. I couldn't include any nuance. See, the truth is not always succinct, mm -hmm. right? So this is actually a good example of the, 
the cute, succinct two and a half minute talk can't contain the truth so much. So this thing about not announcing your goals only applies to some kinds of goals called identity goals. And some tests found that if you told other people your identity goals, and then you got the social reward of people seeing you in a better light because of your announcement, well, then you're 30% less likely to do the hard work necessary to actually achieve that goal, right? So if you think that this applies to you, if your goal is an identity goal, like a personal achievement, you know, I'm going to run a marathon, I'm going to lose 30 pounds, I'm going to learn Chinese, then uh, that's something that doesn't need the help of anybody else, but is more of just you needing to sit down and do the hard work necessary to achieve something, then yeah, if you find yourself craving the reward on social media for announcing your intentions, well then try challenging yourself to not say a thing until you've actually completed it. And that might give you the extra motivation to go make it happen. Yes. But if you're, if you're hearing this like little, you know, two and a half minutes of entertainment on the TED stage going, well, I don't know, because, you know, there was this one time that I, I said, so. it's like, no, of course, this doesn't apply to everybody and everything and all life. And, you know, it's just one little tool in the toolbox. It's a it's a monkey wrench you can use if you need a monkey wrench. That's how I think of all of these things. You know, even all these nonfiction books out there offering, you know, the solution to how to live your life. I just yeah. think of each one of them is just like, you know, pliers in a toolbox. It's just one tool that if you need pliers, you can use that book, that approach given in that book. If what you really need is a hammer, you can use that. If what you need is that little level thing with the bubble in the middle, then you use something else. But it's, we don't, there's no one tool to guide our whole life. Yeah. I, I imagine you've picked up a lot of tools in your life. How many books you read? I only know how many I've read since I started taking notes in 2007. That's when I realized, like, God, I've read a ton of books and I'd forgotten more than half of them. So 2007 is when I started taking notes. So since 2007, I've read 310 nonfiction books that were worth writing notes about. I've read some that, like, I'm sitting here reading through the book and it's like, eh, there was nothing yeah. worth writing down. And I don't take notes on fiction books I read. But as far as nonfiction that were worth taking notes on, I've got, I just counted the other day, so 310. What do you think's your, been your favorite? Um, I think that's one of those questions that's, um, where the, the truth is not succinct. <laughs> there's no, uh, <laughs> yeah. there's no one, it's different at different times. Kind of like when somebody asks, what book do you think I should read? Um, like, I don't, it depends where you're at in your life. But, well, okay. Yeah, what's useful to you right now. Exactly. But if, if I had to pick right now, um, the, the book called How to Live, which is my next one. <laughs> um, now, <laughs> is I, it, yeah? Oh, God. No. <laughs> Dude, it is. I'm actually so immersed in this. Um, so when I, okay, when I, wow. I, when I take notes on books I'm reading, I kind of judge a book by how many sentences I've underlined in a book. Like how many, because I only underline something if it surprises me, right? Like I'm, I'm never trying to make a book summary, like leave that to somebody else to summarize a book. That's, I'm not doing that. All I do with my book notes on my site is 
if while reading something, uh, even if while reading a book, something makes me go, huh, that's a really interesting idea. Well, then I underline it so I can reflect on it later, right? And then I, I save it to a text file so I don't have to read the whole book again. I can just go through my notes on that book and reflect on the interesting points in that book. So my next book called How to Live, I'm, I'm setting out to make the kind of book where I'd be underlining almost every sentence. It's basically like my ideal book. <laughs> I'm still writing it now. That's what I'm working on 15 hours a day is yeah, yeah. that book. So uh, right now that's my favorite book. Awesome. Yeah. What do you, what do you think is, uh, you know, you obviously take lots of notes. What do you think is the most important thing you've learned over the past year? Probably to stop quoting. Ah. Um, I read these nonfiction books where every page says like, this person said this, that person said that, this legendary scholar is quoted as saying blah, blah, blah. This famous millionaire said such and such. And then I look at the page and I realize that the author just shoved five unnecessary names into my mind. Like names that have nothing to do with the actual point the author's trying to make. It's noise, it's clutter, it shouldn't be there. <laughs> so, if I hear an idea and I've considered it and I've integrated it into my beliefs, I say it's mine. So I'll say it succinctly in my own words and stand behind it, like, you know, like adopting a child. <laughs> I will take care of this idea and raise it as my own. But I've stopped quoting. So what if like, what if people accuse you of, of, of not giving credit and, and even stealing like, Hey, no, I heard this from, from this person, Derek. Well, okay. Sorry. I should be more clear. It's, you don't take the words, you take the idea, you internalize it and you really need to make it yours. Mm. So mm -hmm. for example, okay, let's pick a, a famous quote, right? There's the, uh, Proust, is that how you say his name? Proust, uh, uh, Marcel Proust uh, has this famous quote I'm not sure. that's, uh, that I've, I've seen it everywhere this year. It's, I've seen it like five different times this year that says, uh, the only true voyage of discovery would be not to visit strange lands, but to possess other eyes. And yeah, the first time I came across that quote, I was like, whoa, whoa, that's good. I like that. The only true voyage of discovery would be be not to visit strange lands, but to possess other eyes. Okay, so if you've considered this idea and you believe it, well, then now it's your idea. You can say it to anybody and just say it in your own way. You don't have to say, well, you know what Proust said. You, you only need to quote somebody if you're going to use their exact words. Yeah. But if, it's, if this is you, something you believe now, well, then now it's something you believe. So you can say... Um, I don't know, like, I, I'll learn more from a hundred hours in three different belief systems than I would spending a hundred hours in three different countries, right? That's one way of saying the same idea. Like, it's, it's about I inhabiting different minds, not different lands. Or you could say, I would rather see my life through Gandhi's eyes than Gandhi's life through my eyes, right? So those are, mm -hmm. that's kind of the, kind of the same idea. I've kind of taken Proust's idea or, or Proust's idea inspired those versions of the idea. It's kind of his idea, but no, I'd say it's mine. 
So, and also, I just I find that personally, I get so much more from putting it into my own words than just echoing what someone else said. I, I think it's kind of cowardice to just echo what someone else said. Like if somebody uh-huh, quotes uh-huh. someone else, you're, you're not really putting your ass on the line. You're kind of saying, well, this person said this thing. So if you want to attack it, well, hey, I, you know, it wasn't me. I didn't say it. It's him. He said it. Uh, uh-huh. So no, I'd say like, no, take, the, take a minute, internalize it, put it in your own words, reflect it out and fucking stand behind it. <laughs> well, I have, I'm going to play devil's advocate again. Uh, and I, I actually listened to this specific podcast uh, of yours. Don't quote, say, don't quote, say it yourself. And I was a big fan of it, but I do have to ask though, like, what if, what if someone is explaining something to you, Derek, and they say, Oh, I remember reading this quote from a Nobel Peace Prize winner about how we all, whatever, so and so. And then, they explain it in their own words. They just used that first piece there uh, to generate a little bit of authority and prevent you from like questioning them. Like, we have, you know what? I, <laughs> Nothing you know what will I mean? prevent me. <laughs> no, I know. Okay, no, sorry. I know what you mean, though. No, yeah, and that's yeah. true that that's effective. I'm not going to pretend that that's not effective. Um, if you say, you tell me that you know, Einstein or Gandhi said something, well, then I'll listen twice. Even, you know, I'm totally susceptible to this thing. Like, God, I remember even long ago, I never used to like Prince, the musician, Mm -hmm. until Miles Davis said he likes Prince. Then I was like, oh, really? Miles Davis likes Prince? Okay, well, now I'll check out Prince. So I'm totally susceptible to this, like, the voice of authority says something. So I, I get it. So I guess what I'm saying is, for my minimalist tastes, uh, I get, not offended, I get annoyed by the conversational clutter when somebody's saying such and such, that this person who wrote this book titled this in his book this year said this, quote. And people do that in conversation. I used to do that in conversation, especially when I started reading a lot more. I found myself quoting these books and I'd, I'd hear yep, myself. I do it all the time. Okay, yeah. I'd hear myself <laughs> talking to friends and I'd say, you know, there's this book called Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. You know, uh-huh. he says, you know, he won a Nobel Prize for behavioral economics. And in this book, Thinking Fast and Slow, he said, <laughs> I just hear myself. I'm like, what the fuck was all that noise? I, like, none of that was necessary. Like, mm-hmm. Just say it. And of, then I really felt it badly when uh, there have been some nonfiction books I've read in the last few years where, like I said, I just look at the page. And I'm like, God damn, like half of this page is you just referencing other people's names. Like, just say it. Like, if I'm buying your book, <laughs> I want to hear what you think. I don't need you to echo out what others have said. Come on. Yeah, actually, that's a you really throw me back. One of the first ever pieces of constructive criticism I received on my first book uh, about two years ago is that I used too many quotes, not even, not like within the text, but, you know, like, you know, to, to open a chapter after a section. And it's like, like, you know, Jordan, people, people are have bought the book because they want to hear you say it. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's a lot of, so I, I, I'm on board. I see what you're saying here, Derek. I, I, I agree. So, 
I, 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 before we wrap up, got a couple of more questions here. You know, you, you do a lot of writing for fun. Uh, I would, I would think that, re- I mean, for me, reading is, is fun too. Uh, I would imagine that. Like, is there anything else that you do for fun, Derek? Daydream. Daydream. Deliberately daydream. I will very often, if I'm feeling a little burnt out uh-huh. with writing, I will just go lay down on the couch and just think of something strange. <laughs> and I'm not even talking about like sex or whatever. I just mean like, I'll just like, hmm, what if I'll just like play with some daydream? And I think daydream, daydreaming got a bad rap in school. Like if we were like nine years old and like you'd get in trouble for like staring out the window and daydreaming instead of listening to the, what the teacher's saying. So we tend to think of daydreaming as something like we shouldn't do, but God, to just do it deliberately? Like I've never watched Game of Thrones or most of these shows that people talk about. Same. Because, you know, if I have an hour of leisure where I don't feel like working, I can entertain myself just fine by laying down on the couch and just just daydreaming about something, like just imagining something that doesn't exist. And then usually it ends up just being some big inspiration. It makes me like leap out of the couch. Like very often this will happen. Like I'll go like lay down on the couch, deliberately just sit down to just daydream. And after like 30 or 60 minutes, I'm like, oh, Oh my God. Oh my God. I just had a great idea. And I'll like jump out of the couch. No movie has ever made me do that. You know? <laughs> like, no. so yeah, I daydream. I was just going to say that too, like seconds before you brought it up that I think this, I'm always an adamant believer that this white space, this blank space where we're not engaged in anything is so beneficial for our minds. And that's where ideas happen. Often yeah. people don't have ideas, uh, because they're they're constantly engaged, engaged, engaged in in that phone. If they're not on the phone, they're on the computer. If they're not in the computer, they're on the their 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 eyes are locked on the TV, uh-huh. and so they never leave space for these ideas. So I'm also a big proponent of what you're saying here, Derek. Uh, my my one of, another one of my final questions: Do you? This was the late add-in that that I sent you. Uh, do you consider yourself retired? I think retired is one of those words like married, where you can be legally married, you can be essentially married. I think you get to define it yourself. So um, I never would have considered myself retired, but then I realized that I don't work for money and I haven't in 12 years and I probably never will again. Um, I've told you how I work. I work like 16 hours a day, but it's not for the money. Nobody pays me to do what I do. But, you know, when I think of retired, it's like an icky word that sounds to me like giving up, right? Like quitting or something like that. But so I hate doing nothing and I don't hang out. I don't like sit on a couch and watch things. I don't play golf or other games. I just work nonstop, but only for myself. So yes, I'm retired. I wonder what retired even means. Like, tired again like i don't <laughs> i thought about that too yeah <laughs> if you put put new tires on your bike it's retired oh yeah um, yeah that. <laughs> no actually it's a it, funny story um i never considered the word once until a visa immigration guy um 10 years ago i was entering england intending to ride my bike across the whole country so i was just coming through with my bicycle 
like at the uh, Brussels Eurostar train. So coming from Belgium with my bike, entering England. And, you know, you, you do the visa control stuff at the Brussels train station before you're allowed to get on the train. And the guy said, okay, well, how long are you here for? I was like, I don't know, you know, maybe a month. He said, well, what are you going to be doing here? I said, just riding my bike. He said, who do you work for? I was like, no. Mm. And, okay, so the problem was, I, I have the the shut up version of the question, which is like if somebody sits next to me on an airplane seat, and I don't want to talk to somebody next to me on the airplane seat. If somebody okay. says, oh, what do you do? I uh, say, computer programmer. Yeah. Because people go, oh. Oh. They have nothing more to say <laughs> to that. Whereas if I say, oh God, when I used to say I was a musician, people go, oh, what kind of music do you do? Is this in the end? And it's like, and if I say I'm an author, they go, oh, what's your book about? What do you know? I'm uh -huh, like, I don't want to uh -huh. talk about any of that. So no. my shut up version of the answer, when anybody asks, I'm just default. I just say, oh, computer programmer. But now I'm at Visa Control, and the guy says, um, oh, computer programmer, who do you work for? I said, ah, oh, you know, this and that, here and there. He said, well, who were you working for now? I said, oh, just, you know, random things, projects. Because <laughs> I'm still like, going for the <laughs> shut up answer. But, you know, he's Visa Control, and his job is to make sure people aren't coming in to steal someone's right. job. And so he's like, all right, look, And, and Derek is super sketchy. Right, well, he's so... <laughs> I think, you know, he doesn't know who I am. And just he's just, you know, a guy who handed him a passport. So he says, well, look, I, I'm not going to let you get on that train because it sounds to me like you're coming in here to take a job. I mean, you're a computer programmer. You're not working for anybody. You're coming into the country for an indeterminate amount of time. Sounds to me like you're coming here to take a job. And I had just sold CD Baby like earlier that year for 22 million, you know, and I'm like, <sighs> I was like, okay, look, this is a little embarrassing, but I just sold my company this year for $22 million. I don't need to work ever again. Okay, like, I'm not coming to take a job. You can look me up on the internet. It's all... And he goes, oh, why didn't you say so? He said, look, he said, look, just do yourself and everybody a favor. He said, next time you get one of these little visa control forms where it asks your, your, uh, what's that called? Your um, profession. Is that what it's called? Your job, your profession? Yeah. Um, I forget what the blank actually says. But anyway, it's next time it asks your profession, just write retired. Just admit you're retired. Uh, and that was the first time I was like, oh, okay, thank you. And I got on the train, I was like, admit you're retired. And I had never thought about, I always thought of retired as meaning like, I'm just going to play golf and do nothing for the rest of my life. So it was like, of course, I'm like 38, I'm not retired. But I was like, okay, wait, if the definition of retired is do you work for other people for money? Well, no, I don't do that anymore. So, yeah, technically I'm retired. That's funny, man. That, that's a really funny story. Thanks for sharing that, Derek. I, I appreciate that. But on like the note of, of traveling, I almost I almost forgot to ask this question, but I also, uh, I know you've been, uh, you've, you've been so many places, you've lived so many places, I plan on embarking on long-term travel myself and living in places like Italy for an indefinite amount of time. Uh, and, you know, uh, what, and I plan on doing this this year, uh, come, uh, come summer of 2020. I've been planning on it for several years now and it's time and things are getting to the point where I can do that. And so what are some of the, some of your favorite places that you've lived or traveled to well do you already have one in mind i mean you just said italy are you going to go to i have you know yeah that that my plan was uh 
what is it? I think I th- France and then like travel up to Italy. Uh, if I'm, but like there's a whole cluster of countries and then like Germany there too. There's a whole cluster of countries there that are, that all border each other that I want to travel throughout and, uh, and just, and just see what I like best and go from there. Okay. Um, also, my last name's Paris, so I, guess. <laughs> I know I was going to ask you. And, about and that. I like and I like Israel. I'll be in Israel in oh, good, December. good, 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 yeah. good choice. Yeah, that was yeah, God. Yeah. I went to Israel for a friend's wedding once, and I just it was one of those places that made me want to get to know it better. That's a nice feeling. Um, yeah, the the oh God, the um, Jerusalem, especially. We spent most of our time in Tel Aviv, but Jerusalem has really interesting contrasts side by side with each other. I think that would be the place if I was to go spend a month in Israel. I think I would get to know Jerusalem. But anyway. um, Okay. Yeah, I'll be spending time there. Cool. Uh, So my main advice is to go places that are as different as possible from where you grew up, right? So like, you want this to be uh, an expanding, life-changing experience. And to me, the differences between America and even Western Europe are very subtle, in my opinion. When you go to, you know, Japan, or um, Kenya, or, you know, Indonesia, yeah. then it's like, now nah, we're talking some real, you know, ancient... Japan is on my list, too. Oh, God, That's, yes, great. Yes. Um, so, yeah, my advice is to go where you'll be the most surprised. Mm. So, anywhere in Asia, Africa, Russia, Middle East, um, if that feels overwhelming or too much, then aim more for, like, Eastern Europe or South America. I don't think you're going to be super surprised in... France, Italy, Germany. Um, yeah, Singapore is an interesting middle ground. So, I, like I said, I lived in Singapore for two and a half years, and I'm still technically a permanent resident. And uh, I, I really consider it. It still feels like home. Um, my son was born there. It's like it's always in my heart. So, um, Singapore is an interesting middle ground where you're in Asia, but English is the first language there. Um, so it's kind of like a good intro to Asia. So. If you're going to Asia for the first time, um, Japan is the most mind-blowing, but Singapore could be like a really good home base where you can feel comfortable yeah. but still have an amazing learning experience. Okay, noted. Yeah, yeah. Singapore has been an attractive place as well, uh, actually. It's expensive by default, but you get under the surface ah. and you can find the cheap side. So, yeah, you can... Oh, I think Japan's expensive, too. Yeah, yeah. But... Yeah. Yeah, that uh, that'd be fine. Plus, uh, I mean, I wonder what it is like compared to compared to the states. You think it's expensive compared to the United States? Mm, well, I mean, you know, there's depends on where there's you are. Kentucky and there's Manhattan. You know, there's, right, um, right, right. So it's yeah, yeah. In, in you know, hotels, lodging. Are you going to do couch surfing? Um, so I just, I think. I th- I mean, I'm not going to do hotels. I think I'm just going to Airbnb it and and. Go, and see what I go you know, sign up I at couchsurfing.org. Like. Yeah, definitely go sign up at couchsurfing.org. Okay, and even as an introvert, even as you know, it's like you're going uh-huh. for the for expanding your sense of self and all that. Um, there are plenty of people with guest cottages, guest bedrooms, just completely unused, and yes. they are happy to host travelers just in return for conversation. And you are an interesting dude with a lot to share. There are a lot of just, you know, dead face people that would just kind of show up and have nothing to say. You're not one of them. So I think people <laughs> would be happy to 
have you uh, stay in their guest bedroom for a week in Tuscany and in return tell them tales of yeah. the famous people you've talked with. <laughs> <laughs> Give them a copy of your book, etc. Like that would actually, you'd be doing them a favor and you'd, you'd be saving $200 a night. Ah, yeah, that'd be fun. Couch surfing noted. I appreciate that. And then that. once so, you're on couchsurfing.org, once you've created your profile, then tell your listeners. They can go give you like a little, uh, you vouch for somebody. You give them a, uh, kind of, people who have a profile on couchsurfing then can go in and kind of give a little uh, tick mark to say, you know, Jordan's a good guy. Uh, he, uh, he's a trusted okay. guy. So, um, yeah, tell tell your listeners once you have a couchsurfing profile. I highly recommend it. I'm a trusty fellow. Okay. Yeah. Trusty I'll, fellow. I'll, right. <laughs> so I, I want to play this really short game. I'm going to say a word and you're just going to say the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No. I'm totally against that. You are? Yeah. Like I, like I said earlier about like the Mona Lisa. I, yeah. but it's like, no. Yeah, like, no, yeah, the yeah. first thing that comes to mind. I hate that. Oh, uh, wow. I should be a, I mean, I, 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 th I pride myself on being a pretty good listener compared to other podcasters, <laughs> but I should have picked that. I should have, I should have totally saw that uh, in, in this game here. Okay. Respect. Well, well, Derek, I do still have, I still, I still have one final question. Oh, sure. Okay. Uh, you, you've been, I, I do have to thank you though. You've been a very, uh, obviously a willing participant, but for the a willing participant for the length of time that, that that we've that we've gone this is a little bit longer than my normal podcast so so thanks for bearing with me i just I, there's so much that i'm curious about with you and well, that's questions why that, i like that, you yeah and, <laughs> i like well, that you're uh, curious I, it's a fun conversation so thanks it's been yeah. yeah it's been fun for both of us but yeah sure ask anything i'm ready yes so my final question uh if you could teach a course at a university, a course of your creation or otherwise, what would it be? Tech independence. Tech independence. Um, teaching regular people, like non-programmers, how to be free from the corporate lock-in and get off the cloud. Um, I'd start by pointing out that clouds disappear <laughs> by yes. their nature. Uh, that especially if you're talking like a university course, let's assume like people taking the course are like age 18 to 21. So they are probably going to outlive Facebook, Google, and most other companies. Like life is long. We're talking mm -hmm. like 80 years, you know? If you think about- Probably gonna be more than that. Yeah. Um, 80 years from now. So they shouldn't rely on these companies for anything that matters to them. Like if something matters to you, don't give it to a company. If you care, like, I, it made me really sad. I had a friend in Singapore that um, when his kid was nine years old, he merged his personal and his Google apps, like business Google accounts into one. And then suddenly nine years of his family photos of his kid growing up were gone. And he like emailed the Google customer service. And they said, no, there, there was the warning that when you merge your accounts that it will. And he's like, no, this is no. <laughs> And his wife was like, what have you done? they like, he has no pictures of his son from birth to age nine because he was depending on Google. You don't do that. Like if something matters to you, you don't give it to Facebook. They don't care as much as you do. So I would teach a little class on tech independence, like how to set up your own little Linux server, get your own domain name, how to host your own contacts, calendars, photos, and media, and the other stuff you need. Um, definitely getting everybody off of Gmail. And using, mm -hmm. you know, like you at your name.com for your email 
Because some mm-hmm. at some point, you know, Gmail will. You know, you don't want to entrench. You don't want to like tell everybody like, oh, the way to reach me is through this company. That's how you reach yeah, me yeah. is through this company that doesn't care about me. Um, yeah. And so the point is to never be bound to the corporate clouds again. And in the last week of class, here's what we would do. Everybody would, uh, this would be like almost like the final exam. You do a factory reset on, you bring in your phone to class and you do a factory reset. And then you stick in a little pin and you pop out the SIM card and you swap with somebody else's phone. So like, if you usually use iPhone, you switch over to Android. If you usually use Android, you switch over to iPhone, vice versa. And then you boot up the strange phone with your SIM card in it with no cloud sync at all and get up and running with everything you need in a few minutes. Cloud free. (laughs) That's tech independence. I love it. And it's actually, you know, usually I would end the podcast right here, but I just got a comment. Uh, when I saw this on on your about page on, on not being dependent on, on these companies and I was like, oh my gosh, I thought I was like the only person that thought that because I, I wrote about it two years ago and I I was like, like you don't know where Facebook's going to be in, in 50 years. And so like my my antidote was, journals and photo albums like that's the that's the stuff you want to leave behind but then uh you know i, I you, you mentioned like uh something that i didn't even think of uh well like putting up your own your own server right yeah the, for like the, five bucks a month you can have your own server yeah. so for example the um a lot of people it's like if their first phone was an iPhone, well, then now they're just kind of stuck with iPhone because they just put their stuff in Apple's cloud. Well, it's like, yeah, that was very smart of Apple, very stupid of you because now you're just entrenched. So Apple starts releasing terrible overpriced phones and you're stuck because you depend on them too much. So no, I I think like I used to, um, I have a cheap Android phone and a cheap iPhone and I flip back and forth every couple of weeks just to make sure that I'm never dependent on, on anyone. But even like your contacts, like you don't need to host those with Google or with Apple, you can set up um, for free. It just takes like two minutes to set up your own little CalDAV and CardDAV server um, on your own server so that when you go to sync your contacts, you're syncing them with yourself. Like you're never telling Google or Apple who your contacts are. Your contacts are kept privately on your own server. Same with your calendars, same with your photos. You just put them on your own site. Just say, you know, even your own file backup. You don't use... Google Cloud or, you know, whatever the, um, the Apple says, just, yeah, there are all these ways to just do it yourself. And it's, it's one of those things, like if I was like a science fiction writer, or uh, if I had a little time machine, it's, it's a small request, maybe I should actually be like saving people's lives or something. But um, I wish that the, there was a different feeling back in the mid 90s, when all this stuff first started, there was a lot more kind of self hosting, like people, it was a pretty normal thing to have your own website back then. And it's kind of sad to me that um, people were just told like, no, 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 you don't need to, you don't need to do that. We'll just take care of it for you. But now it's like, people can't, it kind of reminds me of that movie, WALL-E, remember with the robot in the future and like, then people were just told, oh, just sit in these comfortable chairs, it's fine. Well, then a few generations goes by and people don't even know how to walk anymore. And I feel that way with tech. It's like, A few companies just, it was in their best interest to tell you like, no, 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 just put all of your stuff with us. We'll take care of all of your stuff. Well, now you don't even know how to stand on your own two feet anymore. Yeah, sorry. I get it. It's a pet peeve of mine. So I am 100% with you there. 
Derek, you're the man. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, I really, I really appreciate you again. And uh, listeners, I, I'm calling his book, Anything You Want, a must read again. It contains all the business stuff that we didn't even talk about today. Yay. If you are, if you are uh, any type of business person or entrepreneur or, or even want to have aspirations of, of, uh, uh, of working for yourself or actually no not, there's a difference between actually i mean you talk about this working for yourself uh being self-employed and and being in i forget the other term you use it but pretty much you know being able to leave your business for a year or two and and you not touching it at all and then coming back and and it's doing better than it was uh before you had left well put uh yeah yeah that's something that that you you had there in the, towards the end of the book, but got to read the book, anything you want and uh, sivers.org. Derek, I appreciate you. Cool. Thanks, Jordan. We've reached the end of this episode of Growth Mindset University. For more keys to success and methods to inspire your entrepreneurial spirit, head to jordanparis.com slash course and enroll in our free course to elevate your podcast to the next level. Be sure to pass the show along to someone you know who will benefit from the lessons learned in each episode, and we'll catch you and them on the next episode of Growth Mindset University.